From KOSU, you're listening to Songwriters and Tour Writers. I'm Matthew Viriapa. On this episode is Johnny Manchild. I wanna be just like them, another rat with one persisting drive to find a better soul. Johnny fronts the band Johnny Manchild and the Poor Bastards, of which there are six in total. The decision to work with six other jazz-loving musicians was a no-brainer for Johnny. But in this episode, Johnny talks about the difficulties for a larger size band and also about the challenge the band took on last year of releasing a single a month, which culminated in their latest album, One Big Beautiful Sound. My name is Johnny Manchild. I'm the lead singer pianist of Johnny Manchild and the Poor Bastards. Uh, not here is drummer Ethan Neal, our bassist James Thompson, guitarist Chris Lashley, uh, trumpet players Ben Wood and Danny McGinn, and our saxophonist Logan Fromm. How does being in a band with like seven members work? Because the last band that I interviewed only had two, and they were kind of <laughs> talking about how difficult it is, like <laughs> balancing everything out with like more than just them yeah um so we're going on year four and um (laughs) it's it is difficult you know you have like seven people schedules i've tried to make mine as uh i guess tangible as possible but yeah i mean yeah it's difficult we try to meet once a week we have like g suite and all these different things like things to keep it organized on everything we're doing it's it's this last like 12 months or 14 months has really started to feel more like um in a good way but feel more like a business than uh a band just because the way that has to operate for us to be able to do everything it's very yeah it's difficult there's seven people so uh i don't know it's a hard question to answer (laughs) there's kind of it's a little sloppy but it's like controlled chaos basically at this point we're making it work yeah definitely must make for like a crowded car (laughs) Yeah, we so like last year we did an Indiegogo, the Bastard Bus Initiative, and we managed to raise enough money to get our own van. So did you like start out wanting like seven members like in a band? <clears throat> Not. Ex- so I guess back when it started, there were six originally. So yeah, I guess even at the beginning, there were still six people. It started when I was 20. And basically the, the whole reason the band existed because I was in another band and it ended very poorly and i had like a real big back catalog of stuff i've written myself that i hadn't gotten to mess with and so i was like i like screw it i want to do my own thing uh and i was in the jazz program at uco and i kind of got the majority of the players from there and like shortly after all that i took a trip for my birthday um going from like by train from new orleans to memphis to chicago to new york and like hitting up all these different jazz clubs and seeing stuff and it was memphis especially like the soul music scene i was just like yeah i really need horns i already liked like classical music and horns used in that way but like in jazz and in funk and uh soul music it was even cooler so the trumpets came pretty immediately And then sometime in the second year, I think, we, we added the saxophone just to kind of give some more like harmonic possibilities and something a little more uh, melodic and pretty uh, that the trumps could be behind or stab on top of. From the beginning, it was always a bigger 
group. That's just kind of how I wanted it for whatever reason, uh, which has made everything like so much harder, but also the music sounds good. So whatever <laughs> it works. And uh, also just like trumpets have so much power. Like uh, I never liked being in marching band, but like, I don't know, horns have a lot of power and I wanted that uh, just in a different way than turning up the distortion on a guitar or something. So that's, yeah, that's just where that went. And yeah, there are a lot of influence and stuff I listened to that kind of had the that instrumentation. So I wanted to mess with it. Is there one that you remember, like, like you heard them using horns and you were just like, yeah, I got to have that. I mean, from the beginning, like obviously Ben Folds was a big influence towards the very beginning of all the writing and stuff that I was doing. Uh, and I think his song, uh, Stephen's Last Night in Town, was like a really big one that I liked. Then I pulled it from some other places too that weren't quite as uh, obvious, like as far as genre goes. Uh, Sufjan Stevens, the whole Illinois album, and uh, My Brightest Diamond. Uh, and then, of course, I just liking jazz and me being like a jazz musician that also went into it. But, like, yeah, I, I don't know. There was a lot of early 2000s bands that did the rock thing that incorporated horns and stuff. And then it kind of took a back seat for a while. And I always thought that it was a cool like tonal palette so what did you not like about a marching band i was fifth bass drum <laughs> um so at uco they didn't have a jazz uh bachelor's yet only a master's and they started it while i was there and i immediately switched and i was like i don't have to do marching band anymore <laughs> so good but i i didn't like um i just i didn't like hearing that big bass drum i wasn't a big fan of it musically it didn't interest me just because you know marching band is all it's all technical it's all speed it's all chops Ah, I just, it didn't do it for me. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome for your free game entertainment, UCO's Stampede of Sound. Jazz versus marching band is like, um, how fast can you go and where are we going? Like, it's two very different things. Like, yeah, I like jazz a lot better. Were you a jazz drummer then? Yeah, yeah, I was. I was a percussionist, a jazz percussion major. Uh, did you like Whiplash? Well, yeah. I'm, so I'm a I'm a film nerd too. So as a movie, that was great. As far as like whether or not it's realistic for what jazz is, not nah, it's not at all. But like, it was a good movie. It was a great movie. I told you that story about how Charlie Parker became Charlie Parker, right? Yeah. Joe Jones threw a symbol at his head. Exactly. Do movies inform your songwriting at all? Then <laughs> one did. <laughs> uh, La La Land definitely did. While Whiplash was not very realistic in the way that they approached jazz in the movie, the actual music that was in it was fantastic. And that composer, uh, Justin Hurwitz, that's it, is amazing. Uh, I went into that movie blind, actually. My mom saw it. I hadn't even heard of it yet. And she was like, you have to come see this movie. Don't watch a trailer. Don't watch anything. And so I literally, was, like the one time where I had no bias, no concept of what it was, went and saw the movie. And it like just blew me away. It was great. The music is awesome. Especially like loving music theater and loving jazz. It's a really good mix of uh, of all that stuff. So like, like it had a real like Fred Astaire and Ginger 
vibe with the whole thing. Super old Hollywood. It's pretty strange that we keep running into each other. It is strange. Maybe it means something. I doubt it. Yeah, I don't think so. Where's my car? I don't know. That movie did have an effect on me. Like, the music was awesome. Um, so if any movie did, it was that one. <laughs> is there, like, a favorite scene or uh, song? Uh, actually, Summer Montage. <laughs> Uh, it was my favorite, just the da 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 dum ba da 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 ba. That like whole, that's just awesome. Yeah, that and Planetarium. I liked Planetarium because they do a really cool thing. It's almost like the, uh, the Duke Ellington thing. They mix jazz with these giant uh, like orchestra string sections. So it takes like that classical music thing and mixes it with the jazz harmony, and it's just really pretty. This last year has been weird, uh, just because of the way that it uh, went down doing a single a month. I had all these songs prepared, like songs that I knew I wanted to use. And just the process of like getting it together, arranging it with all the instruments, getting everyone rehearsed enough, and then recording it all within 30 days, 12 times in a row. It ended up getting some weird results. So there are some songs from these last 12 singles, this like album of singles that we did that are a pretty natural sound, like I think um, I Stay Awake, it sounds like something that could have been on the last album or maybe even the EP.
I wrote that song like years ago, but I wrote it in the key of F major and I never liked it. It just it, was, it didn't work for me. The structure stayed the same, honestly, but one day I was messing with it because I liked the lyrics a lot. I knew I wanted to use it and I knew the piano line lended itself to some horn parts. And so I messed with different keys. I played it in A major and suddenly the whole song sounded different. Like between F major and A major, the total, like the tone of everything shifted. I was like, ah, oh, this sounds way better. For the most part, the, the song was recognizable, but changing the key brought like a new breath into it that let me hear like the other parts. Stuff like Fortified or All Right, we kind of started getting more into like this uh, electronic stuff, vocoder, like 808s, and honestly, stuff that I don't think would have made its way in if we weren't limited by the monthly release thing. I, that might sound weird, I guess, because it, it seems like it'd make more sense to go back to what's... Uh, comfortable but we did like the opposite we were just messing with it um i also think it's because three of the members of the band including me are like uh, recording engineers and we like produce music so when you're in the box and like messing with stuff um just recording it and trying things out uh before you take it to the band to practice you end up messing with all these different things and it it got weird results so uh this year is a there are some anomalies <laughs> because of that i think uh but yeah, now it's working our its way into like what we're doing now for this next album for 2020. So where did the idea of like creating this challenge for yourself of just releasing a single a month come from? I guess in 2017, we had that EP, you know, seven songs, and then we released the album. And then I didn't want to put out another album. And the initial idea, I think, was we were going to do like four, uh, three or four song EPs. And the reason why we wanted to do that was because uh, when you do an album, like you have a theme, like there's one thematic premise, like all the art has to revolve around all this, it has to be like a conceptually um, cohesive idea. And but with the EPs, we could have like three or four distinct vibes and like different art and kind of paired them together like that. And then it got to the point where we we're like, well, if we do 12 singles, we don't have to do any of that. Like we can be as different between all these singles as we want. I think the idea was that it would be really fun just to have like 12 pieces of art, 12 different songs. And then if we do something really weird, like if we pull something out that's maybe a little out of genre, or a little out of uh, the norm for what we normally do, and we get away with it, like if people accept it and it's cool, then we can do it again. And then we can do it over and over. And eventually we won't have to stick to any norms if we don't have any norms. So the idea was just to try and 
use the single event thing to experiment as much as we felt like we wanted to. And it, I think it worked pretty well. So what was like the most kind of different song? I would have to say it was either All Right or Fortified. Um, Fortified was a straight up... Uh, when I first demoed it, it sounded like a Blade Runner 80s rock tune or something. And uh, then when it, when we took it to the band, like we had a like a jazz section for this trumpet solo. We still kept like a vocoder in this really dark, uh, semi-processed sound. It was the same way, except it was a little bit more of like a lush, pretty, um, uh, not quite atonal, but the key center moves around. And that was a new thing too. Uh, but I, I'd say All Right was the one that was a really big outlier that also did really well. Uh, and I don't feel a need to try and do it again. I was, I'm happy with what it is and where it's at. And uh, again, it's just one of those things like if we could do it that time, then we can do something else again and just keep messing with stuff. So, uh, but I'd, I'd say All Right. It seems we circled back around As if we never even left at all What are we to say? What have we to say if anything at all? I guess that we could just pretend As if we never
all rights melody uses every note <laughs> in the chromatic scale. It uses every single note. Uh, and it's not technically atonal, but yeah, it uses every note in the chromatic scale. And I thought that was really cool. <laughs> Just because it doesn't sound like it does it. The reason I liked it also is like I would have friends that aren't really musicians and they can't even really sing that well, but they can sing that melody. And they're singing like an atonal melody. When the chords aren't behind it, it's the weirdest thing ever. And I thought that was cool that using all 12 chromatic notes, it's still like decently catchy. Did you go into it just being like, all right, this song using every note? Not at first, no. Um, it was the same way that like theory is supposed to be, I guess. Like you don't start with the theory, you uh, come up with the theory to understand what was happening in the first place. So like the initial idea for All Right was I wanted it to be kind of uncomfortable. Um, I wanted it to eventually circle back to where it started but not let it feel like it was going to um because the whole premise of the song is basically a relationship that's not healthy but it's something that you keep coming back to over and over again even if you think you're not going to again it just keeps happening and so i tried to write this uh chord structure that moved in an uncomfortable kind of unpredictable way but then felt comfortable coming back to the tonic uh and then the melody that ensued naturally used all 12 notes and facilitating like uh, smooth movement. I didn't try too hard to do it, but I was pretty happy with it. Are you the kind of primary songwriter then for the group? Uh, yeah. Do you just take the song and then bring it to the group and they kind of fill out their own parts or? Um, for the most part, um, I'll write, uh, like my phone is filled with voice memos and before the studio was under construction, uh, I would demo like my own versions of things. I'll probably do that again. Uh, but basically I'll have the lyrics and I'll have the essential structure of the song and all the chords and stuff. And uh, we'll bring it to the band uh, kind of play around with it. Um, I think back in the early part of the band, I would be more hands-on specific with parts and I can still be that way with the horn parts. Um, but as far as like guitar, bass and drums and all that stuff goes, I, I don't, uh, like backseat drive too much. Um, there will be some songs where I'll feel a specific groove cause I was a drummer first. So me and Ethan, like our drummer, we'll get into arguments sometimes <laughs> if we're feeling a groove differently, which actually happens a lot. And I'll try and sit back and um, allow it to do its thing and uh, not let my idea of what it is get in the way of something better. Yeah, it's it's starting to be a lot more collaborative. Like over this past, this the singles really made it that way, especially. Uh, but yeah, whatever framework I might have, it kind of goes through the filter of the band and turns into our songs. There have been some songs where I'll demo it with really specific, um, like, 
tonal qualities, I guess. Uh, really, when I when I demo stuff, if I do, I I try lately not to focus too much on specific individual parts and just more like the color of it, like the direction I'd like to go, and then everybody else kind of either falls in with it and does their thing or disagrees with me, with me entirely. <laughs> Which song did you and your drummer get in the most like kind of disagreement about where to take it? Oh, um, literally the first single of the year. I can, I can say exactly what it is, actually, I think. I tend to feel more of a lock with the bass and drums. We're uh, kind of like that, um, uh, what is it? Sly and the Family Stone, Larry Graham, I guess. Like that whole... Um, low notes of the kick high notes of the snare like kind of locking in really tight with that and ethan tends to kind of groove over the bass line so like uh like he really digs the four on the floor thing which is what we ended up going with for all in my mind and it it worked better like it just does um but yeah like we just feel groove a little bit differently on occasion sometimes we're on the exact same page
Do you like having like another drummer that isn't on the same page with you all the time? I mean, yeah. Like, so I think if we never argued, it wouldn't work as well. I know what it sounds like when I'm making all the decisions and that's like the first EP. That's Valencia. Because that was like our very first thing. We didn't know each other all that well. We were still like a young band. I was using what I had to get out an EP as quickly as we could and just do that. The sun beats through a breaking clouds. I walk around my favorite part of town. I don't mind being alone. I do just find being on my own. These pretty things are everywhere. They shade their skin and braid their hair. So that is the closest that you can get to like 20 or 21 year old me's uh, just unfiltered musical thing. And I think what we're doing now is better. I, I'm, I've also obviously grown a little bit myself, like musically and writing and stuff. But I think like the band wouldn't sound the way that we do if we didn't argue about stuff. And if like if we all agreed, then it would be boring, I think. Was there kind of like a deadline pressure like month to month to put out a single? Yeah, there there was. I, I view it kind of as an experiment. I think overall it went well. There were times where there were takes that we wish we could have taken longer to do. There were things we could have added or more time to mix, like stuff like that. Uh, and we were overall happy with it, but um, that was the biggest thing. We, we ended up uh, f finding a better way to do it. We would uh, save up and do three songs at once to be released. Uh, so we'd record three and then uh, mix them over the next three months, releasing them each time. Uh, so we actually only had four or five recording sessions over the year. Um, but that actually, that kind of made it harder because now we had to know that we had three songs ready to go when we went to record over a weekend. Uh, so like three songs for two days or something like that. Uh, so yeah, there was some pressure there. It's I think it's why we're so excited about the album is because like it's the first time in a year that we get to focus on uh, new tunes without the worry of recording them immediately. We can kind of take our time and shape things a little more um, intentionally, I guess. Which song do you think caused you like the most stress where you were like burning the midnight oil just trying to like get things to work? <laughs> um, The last one. <laughs> one big beautiful sound. That was kind of, it was a musical number, which I, I don't know. I... I like musicals and that's just what I wanted to do. And it ended up being received pretty well, but uh, it was just a weird composition. It was like kind of this Dixie musical theater thing. And uh, 
I'll put it like this, I guess, like after we recorded it, we couldn't play it live. Like we didn't have it together as a complete song. We had our parts and we knew what to do and uh, we put it together, but like it was just rushed out real quick. Like we can play it now, but that one, uh, yeah, that one was tough. <laughs> For our final number, a song of love. To all those listening in, stay warm and good night. I think I wrote that um, probably in 2016, um, but I don't know. I we'd been doing like a single a month, and I was trying to figure out what to call. Like it, we were thinking about putting it into a compilation, like something at the end of the year. And I thought it'd be really cool to pull that song out, and I wanted to have like a duet. Uh, so we ended up like I had to do it with Megan Wiggins on that track. Um, I thought it'd just be a cool way to end the year, like one big, beautiful sound. Like this is the compilation and we'll release it, the single as the album. And uh, it seemed like a cool way to go about it, both from like uh, the cover art and the theme of it, just tying everything together. It seemed like a cool thing to do. And uh, I don't know, it was one of those songs that I didn't think about playing it live. It was just for the recorded song, really. Uh, which we may play alive. The problem there is we have to have a girl to sing with us. So, was there any kind of musical that you were trying to like think of? Like, oh yeah, I want it to be kind of like this. There was um, a part. Is we both reached for the gun from Chicago. I knew I wanted that slow chorus that like slowly built up into the end of it. Uh, so I definitely stole from that. And we both reached for the gun. That's right. You both reached for the gun. Ready? Yeah. I feel way more comfortable stealing from musicals than from other stuff. I feel like that's like a normal thing to do. Like that's kind of part of it. Just steal a musical bit for another musical bit. But yeah, I'd say that's probably where like most of it came from. The rest of it's pretty different, but that I knew I wanted that like like line kick chorus, whatever that's called, if you know what I mean. 
So like it just literally slows down. Uh, and like speeds up into this big thing. Like it's it's the same structure. I don't know if you've ever seen that musical or seen a movie or anything like that. That's no, really good. You should watch it. Did you imagine like any kind of like big dance number or anything while you were writing that last one? Or? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I had a whole music video in my mind, but I can't afford to make it. <laughs> <laughs> it's insane. I don't think it would go very well either. Just uh, go ahead and describe it. And maybe someone will like hear it and be like, yeah, I'll finance that. Okay, I don't even want to describe it because just I feel like it'll point out how weird my brain is like sounds totally normal to me but every time i tell people they're like wait what <laughs> well you know basically like kind of like the the 1950s like uh vibe and you have the whole uh boy girl duet thing going on and so you can have that nice like split screen thing I, I wanted it to be this really old school and just be like this uh drunken ass who's like kind of uh just being a little bit terrible like that's the thing my mom doesn't like about the song either is that the main character being like me i guess in this song is not a good person <laughs> she hates that but like um yeah basically the whole premise of the story is that it's a drunk guy trying to go over to his uh girlfriend's house and he's being kind of a jerk and so she says no and he like uh can't drive so he tries to walk over there in the cold and ends up passing out and freezing to death and then like the whole music video was like in these last uh moments it'd be like that weird it's a wonderful life like goes to christmas pass except it's like a drunken hypothermic uh just like he's tripping out <laughs> from hypothermia basically
doesn't stop getting weird there <laughs> after that. I literally, for some reason, thought it'd be hilarious if it turned into like almost like a thriller thing. Like literally come back as a zombie and like find the girl and make it look like it's going to be this big love thing. But then she's actually just terrified because he's a zombie and then turns into a weird dance number. It doesn't make any sense. I understand that. This is just <laughs> this stuff that I think about when I don't have anything to do. It probably shouldn't be a music video. <laughs> <laughs> But did you like try and think about the visuals of like each song since you were putting out like singles with the art like every month too? Yeah, I mean, I uh, I do have a bit of a visual tie with uh, music on on a lot of them. There are some that don't do it for me, which ends up being the ones I don't like very much. But like uh, when you're grown, I don't know. There are a lot of colors on that one that kind of resonated with the the tone of it, which usually work its way into the art. But like it's not always like a cinematic visual more just like uh the color palette and stuff like when you're grown it's definitely dark and moody shadowy like rainy I guess that's the best way I could describe it. If I have any visual cues with anything, that's kind of how it is in my head. Not exactly like a whole music video idea or something like that, but just uh, imagery. And Shelby Criswell, he's amazing. We've been working together pretty much since the beginning. Even like the band logo, my tattoo, he came up with that. Uh, at this point, like he's part of the band. But like for all these singles, I had... Uh, I'd, I would rarely actually try to draw anything, but I would kind of send these long messages explaining like uh, what the scene was, like what was happening, um, and leave a little bit of room for whatever he was going to do. And then he'd send it back, and it was exactly what I was talking about. Like he would just nail it, like in every way. So besides like your own like original music, there's like a cover of a video game song <laughs> you did for a YouTuber, and I'm kind of just wondering what the story was behind the hat. That was like the start of our good year, I think. So my friend Jacob Raven is a video game YouTuber. So for the past few months, we have been working on a collaborative effort of a cover of Last Surprise from my favorite video game of all time, Persona 5. Uh, I've been friends with them since I was, I think, 16 or 17. We were at Quartz Mountain uh, together uh, for film. And uh, back in the day, he had a band called Saving Sound, and I recorded an EP for them. And on one of them, I sang a song uh, with them. I was like partially in the band for a short period of time. And so I sang a song called Four Years Gone. We were four years strong, but I was in the wrong, thinking you would come around for me. 
And uh, the album Insomnia came out in late 2018, and he hit me up, and he said that he really liked it, and he dug the album, and he wanted to do something together. And basically, he had become a massive YouTuber. He is like one of the leading Smash YouTubers. It's like what he does. But yeah, like we hadn't hung out for a long time because he'd been busy with his thing, I'd been busy with my thing, but he reached out and he wanted to do something together. And so he said, um, there was this video game, Persona 5. It was like a cult classic video game and you know, he said we should do a song from it, like cover something. And then on the other half of the video, we can do a remake of our song, Four Years Gone, from our old band. And so I was like, yeah, that'd be really cool. And we ended up picking Last Surprise. It's just a dope song. This is maybe one of the hardest and highest songs I've ever sang in my life. Like really, it was straightforward. We put our, like, our lens on it and like tonally changed it. Uh, it was a lot less smooth, a lot less like uh, Japanese anime. Um, you know, that like polished sheen that they have over a lot of that music. We kind of took that off. Uh, I knew I wanted it to be just a little dirtier. You'll never see it And the cool thing about that, like, first of all, that video coming out initially with his however many subscribers and all that, just infinitely, like, we were right here, just blasted it up, like, insane amounts. From that exposure, we've actually kept the majority of anybody who saw us and kept growing from that. So it was lucky that everyone who was exposed to us really dug it. But yeah, I can honestly say, like, it was that connection and, like, Jacob Raven that uh, helped kick us off. And I think that's always what it is. Like, I'll admit, a YouTube video gamer, as an old friend, was a weird uh, reach that we ended up make work. 
and everyone I've seen who's had a thing that worked out, it's always just somebody you know or some connection like that. It's the weirdest stuff that pops up. And I, I thought it was, I still think it's hilarious that it worked out that way. Uh, video gamers are some of the most loyal fans <laughs> of all time. Like, and, and not just that, like their, their community, their like sense of community and how they talk to each other and how they spread stuff. It's crazy. Like now, because of that, we have a discord, uh, like fan group chat that they started. It's radically changed the landscape of what we're doing this year <laughs> because of that. Like they just kind of entered us into the land of like content creation as a band. Yeah. And you guys started like a Patreon People were asking us to do a Patreon because they literally wanted to give us more money. <laughs> so we did. Like, we tried to think of things we could do, um, you know, behind the scenes, uh, all the demos that we have. We do a monthly webcomic with our artist, uh, which, you know, it's pretty a natural thing to do. Like, the art is a big part of it for me. So we do that. We've got this new podcast, Bastard Radio, which is a Patreon thing. We We may release it later. So yeah, there's like a lot of little things that we can do, but mostly like the point of it was that people wanted to support us um do you know amanda palmer or dresden dolls coin operated boy sitting on the shelf he is just a toy but i turn him on and he comes to life automatic joy that is why i want a coin operated boy Amanda Palmer is a lead singer and like writer for the Dresden Dolls, and now she does her own thing. And she is like one of the most successful crowdfunding artists of all time. She made like over a million on Kickstarter, but she did a TED Talk on Patreon, which is what really led me to think like, yeah, we should do this. Um, and basically what she said at the very end of it, talking through all the stuff, is the question everyone's been asking is how do we get people to pay for what we do? And the question that you should be asking is how do we let people pay for what we're doing? And so like honestly like if there's a fan base like small one or big one if you open up the avenues that they can give support they'll do it <laughs> is it a strange transition then to like not just making music but like content not really because like i mean so for me i kind of like it it feels like a little bit freeing we're musicians we're like nerds we geek out over theory i love this stuff like uh so for the patreon that just allows me to be a musician in other ways too like there's all the the branding and the writing and everything that we do for the band, but now I can do music challenge videos. I can try and write in a style. I can try and mess with certain theory ideas. We can do covers of other stuff. Like it's more of a way to stretch out uh, just as musicians in general, which for me is great. Like I still get to do the thing I like. and I'm still like Johnny Manchild or whatever, but I get to be the music nerd that I am. And that's totally acceptable. With a lot of these songs, it wasn't like completely straight, like this is an entirely new song. You were taking a lot of like old bits and pieces that you had written before, right? Yeah. Um, and that's what it always is. Like uh, uh, you want a song that originally was a three, four waltz. It was like this. But it was boring. And so I listened to it one day and I was like, what if I just do like a totally just out of the blue, like whatever, just like funk this up a little bit. And so I put it in that 4-4 four, four, and just had that like really groovy, like uh, slow Nate Smith drum groove with Ethan Dad. The beginning, the intro is honestly my favorite part. I was listening to Alive by Marcus Strickland, 
And so for the beginning, we had Logan do this uh, octave pedal, like sax intro. And it was this really pretty, like soundscape thing that we did just to kind of get the vibe going before the song actually started. And then for that one, there was a lick that I came up with that also changed it uh, and kind of shifted direction that... And out of nowhere, slowing it down and having it so smooth for the rest of it, it made it more possible for me to go like real hard for the chorus. No, it's not hard. Say it's not hard. If I So uh, that one was wildly different than the original. Like that's a song where it was not recognizable, <laughs> like from the voice memo. Uh, it changed a lot. Yeah, it's all bits and pieces that kind of come together, which also just the realization that I could uh, do that and I didn't have to write whole songs at once was really fun because now like I can put in stuff that 
like excites me musically a little bit or just try different things and it doesn't have to be such a specific uh thing that was like a moment of inspiration i can put weird music stuff into things or we can all have input in that way and they'll that's what i think has made them come together lately like the newer songs and stuff that we've been doing has been just all these different ideas that we kind of mushed <laughs> into there and it just made sense uh, i'll never delete anything anymore i have a list somewhere and this shouldn't this shouldn't mean that all the songs are good exactly but i have written like 220 songs in the last three years or something like that but we actually just had an issue that we finally got the track list figured out for this next album we're wanting to do but i had something like 34 songs that i liked like those are the ones that are like these are good these could be on the album and we had to go through and just like over the last couple months and uh, even more so over the last three weeks just cut down to a good uh, track list and that was nearly impossible <laughs> like it was so yeah like theoretically just with what's around right now we've got like two or three albums of stuff but then i can also keep writing stuff so i we'll, we'll just keep doing it what was that conversation then we went really um systematically about it i guess like i had a list that i liked and other people had lists that they liked and what we ended up doing was we all picked our top 10 songs and then we took uh, a tally of which ones popped up for the top 14 first and then we found that list, like whatever it ended up being. We talked about it and we were like, does this work here? Does this work here? Made sure that everything meshed. Uh, there weren't too many like ballad songs, too many heavy songs. And so, yeah, we kind of literally took a vote and tallied our list together to create like what the album might be. And uh, eventually we decided to keep three of them that went over our track list number that we wanted. And I think we're going to do those as singles uh, if we can pull them off. Is this before even like the other band members kind of knowing like, what the song is going to be for them oh yeah i don't even remember how to play some of the songs that are on the album i have to teach myself again like these are things that i've like messed with and that i wrote and but then there's so much to focus on i kind of have to get back into like the album mode now of this next thing and like learn all my own parts like there's there's a lot of songs now <laughs> like i think we've got uh like something like 36 on spotify or something like that so like with these other like 14 we're going to do i'll have to teach myself again Insomnia and even all these singles, some of them were written at the same time that our EP from 2017 was written. They were all like 2015, 2016 songs. This album is more or less like all within the last uh, 10 to 12 months like written. So it's a lot more up to date, um, which I think will make it sound significantly different. Stuck in my head, I forget what you said, so I'll stick with another reply.
my hair person just texted me and said, hey, I found the perfect formula for a dark blue. I'll put it on you for no charge if you want. <laughs> and this is pretty like vivid, like blue. This is like the the most blue hair I've seen <laughs> as of yet. Yeah, funny about the hair, I guess she tried something weird and she ended up with a color and she was just like, I don't know what I did, but that's the cooler blue. Of, like that's one of the coolest blues I've ever seen. And she was like really happy with it. So she's like, taking like a personal interest in my hair color now. So yeah, I was in the army for like four and a half, five years and I had like a fade and I couldn't color it, couldn't do anything. And I've been out in the army for about a year now. I don't know. I used to diet a lot as a teenager. And I was just like, I'm going to diet again. Um, it's kind of another, like the same thing as just like songwriting, I guess. It was another experiment. It's like, if I can do this and get comfortable with it, then I'll just do it again. <laughs> I always liked having like colorful hair. So I guess I feel like I have a track record of intentionally doing challenging things just to see if I can, whether it's like dyeing my hair blue or uh, deciding to start a band out of nowhere. At the time when it started, it was a very much out of character to just decide to be the lead singer of a band. Uh, I was always like uh, the instrument person. Like I always played bass or guitar or drums or something else, but I never sang. Maybe in like an opposite way, I just wanted to try doing something new and being the lead singer, which I'd never done before. Yeah, I guess in almost a reaction to doing something on a polar opposite side, that was what I took into this band, just doing something different. So what's next for you and the band? Oh, well, we the big ones for this year, we've got a tour in March going uh, up to Kansas City, Chicago, Springfield, uh, Lincoln, Iowa City, Des Moines. Um, trying to do more touring, but it's tough. <laughs> Can't all quit our jobs yet. Uh, another big one, going to Tornillo, Texas, to Sonic Ranch in July to record our album, which I'm really excited about. Uh, Snarky Puppy recorded Culture Vulture, my favorite album there, uh, which was a big incentive. And that album specifically just sounds gorgeous. Uh, so I'm excited to record there. I don't know if you know anything about Sonic Ranch. Um, it's basically in the middle of nowhere, about uh, like right on the border of the Rio Grande, uh, on a 1,700-acre pecan orchard. And so you literally you live there while you record. And so we're staying there for a week, and just living and breathing the album for a week. And we might do like some auxiliary instruments here back home in my studio or at Lunar Manor, uh, but. Yeah, for the most part, all of the primary tracking is happening in that week. So we'll see how it goes. We've got our Patreon every month, which we're kind of using as a, like a sandbox outlet just to kind of uh, give listeners and uh, all the patrons like uh, behind the scenes stuff. Uh, we've been doing like instrument playthroughs and how to play the song, stuff like that. So like a lot of like content creation, just keep doing the band thing, but uh I think I've, I try to respond to like every message we get. I try to like, I talk with people on Twitter. I'm in the, the group chat on Discord that the fans have. Like I've always been, like all of us have really been involved in like talking with everybody. And so like the Patreon is a pretty natural step just to kind of start to get a little more collaborative on that uh, side. Uh, we've got like 52,000 listeners on Spotify now all over the place. Like the UK is going up to like 3,000 or something. So my goal is to do everything we can this year 
to where in maybe 2021 we can actually go and start seeing all these people a little farther away do west coast east coast legs uh i want to go to the uk <laughs> i want to do stuff over there um we've got listeners that are dedicated and i want to see them i want to give them free stuff <laughs> and play shows uh, how are you guys handling the kind of stage of growth that you're at right now then uh you know it's it's pretty good right now we were we hit that like two and a half three year part of being in a band where it got a little low for a second we weren't sure what to do next and stuff was getting a little slow and then it kicked into like hyper speed and so now uh, we're just trying to keep that momentum going uh, but it's been comfortably uncomfortable uh, the stress of it has all been good there's nothing bad about anything happening right now so we're just rolling with it trying to stay on top of it keep things moving and uh, stay ahead of it i guess uh, yeah we're all pretty happy with it we're all excited about this next album and to keep doing stuff uh, all of us just want to quit our jobs <laughs> Uh, do you have an idea of when the next album's going to be coming out? I'm hoping for the end of 2020. Uh, I really, my goal is to have it before next year. Uh, but we're going to make sure it's good first. We're kind of doing the opposite. We're not just going to release something every month. We're going to work on this and make sure it's right. Check us out on Spotify or on YouTube. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff. We'll talk to you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming by. You wrote another letter, come to silhouette. I know somewhere she wanders, but he hasn't found it yet. Go to KOSU.org to find out more about Johnny Manchild and the Poor Bastards. Also, there will be a list of all the songs that were played. Songwriters and Tour Writers is a production of KOSU in the service of Oklahoma State University. Our editor is Ryan McCroy, and our cover art was created by Terry Ferris. You can find Songwriters and Tour Writers wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Matthew Viriapa. Music